and sisters, welcome to the worship experience of the Greater Little Zion Baptist Church. I'm Pastor Murphy. We are delighted that you have decided to join us on this celebratory day, and we pray that the music ministry will elevate your soul and the preaching of the Word of God will liberate your soul. Be blessed as God speaks a word and sets you free from this day forward in Jesus' name. Have a blessed time in worship. Sweet. 
morning, family, friends, and guests. Here are our weekly announcements. The Missionary Ministry for the month of August will be doing a school supply drive at the food distribution in August on August the 21st from 9 a.m. to 12 p.m., but also on August the 19th from 5 to 7 p.m. for Thursday for Zion members. If you would like to donate any supplies, the drop-off is on Saturdays or during the week. We will be going bowling today with our youth ministry. If you are ages 17 and under, come and join us from 6 to 7 p.m., and if you are 18 and up, join us from 7 to 8 p.m. Also save the date in your calendar for our virtual quarterly church meeting on Saturday, July the 31st at 10 a.m. To RSVP, make sure that you email the admin office at admin at glzbc.org. We also will be having prayer meeting on Wednesdays at 6 p.m. and our virtual adult Bible study Wednesday at 7.30 p.m. On the weekends, we also have our Sunday school sessions. Our youth and young adult Sunday school are Saturdays at 10 a.m. and our adult Sunday school is every Sunday at 8.30 a.m. Well, we thank you for joining us this Sunday and we pray that you have a blessed rest of your day.
morning great little Zion this is the day that the Lord has blessed us with and let us now rejoice and be glad within it we want to draw your attention this morning to the book of Genesis chapter 41 the book of Genesis chapter 41 and we'll be reading verses 50 through 57 the book of Genesis chapter 41 verse 50 through 57 reading this morning again from the New Living Translation, and here's what the word of the Lord says. During this time, before the first of the famine years, two sons were born to Joseph and his wife, Asenath, the daughter of Potiphera, the priest of On. Joseph named his oldest son Manasseh, for he said, God has made me forget all my troubles and everyone in my father's family. Joseph named his second son Ephraim, for he said, God has made me fruitful in the land of my grief. At last, the seven years of bumper crops throughout the land of Egypt came to an end. Then the seven years of famine began, just as Joseph had predicted. The famine also struck all the surrounding countries, but throughout Egypt there was plenty of food. Eventually, however, the famine spread throughout the land of Egypt as well. And when the people cried out to Pharaoh for food, he told them, go to Joseph and do whatever he tells you. So with severe famine everywhere, Joseph opened up the storehouses and distributed grain to the Egyptians, for the famine was severe throughout the land of Egypt. And people from all around came to Egypt to buy grain from Joseph because the famine was severe throughout the world. <clears throat> I've given title this morning to this text, Unlimited Possibilities. Unlimited Possibilities. Joseph is now the center of Egyptian dignitaries all eyes, including the guards and the military chiefs, the lords and the ladies of the court, the dancing girls, the entire aristocracy is now witnessing the elevation of what many believe was impossible. A Hebrew, as second in command of Egypt, how could that happen? The same sort of reaction was employed when Barack Obama became the chief in command, when Kamala Harris became the second in command. Who would have imagined that a black man would become the president of the United States or the first female vice president would be black and Asian American to become the vice president? Some would say that it was merely political that they are or were where they are. Some would say it was the climate of the times. Others would say it was providential, divine. And yet some may even say and declare that it was prophetic. Prophetic based upon the words of the late Robert Kennedy, 
who in 1961 declared these words that the possibility was certain that in the near 30 to 40 years, a Negro could achieve the same position of my brother, John Kennedy, as president of the United States. Well, it took a bit longer, but the impossible became possible. And when we look through the lens, we must consider that those words of Jesus are quite helpful and quite hopeful when he informed the disciple how difficult it was for the rich to enter into heaven and how it was far easier for a camel to get through the eye of a needle. And yet the disciples respond by saying, if that's the case, Lord, who then can be saved? And Jesus replied, with men this is impossible, but with God all things are possible, Matthew 19 and 24. Starting with Joseph's story, and now fast forwarding even to our own contemporary stories, we can never count ourselves out. It's never over until God says it's over, until God shuts the door, and we can rest assured that when that door is shut, God will open another door that will be far better than the door that was closed. I've been there, there are and have been and are doors that have been shut, that are shut, and I'm still waiting for those new doors to open. And I'm confident that when they do, they will be better than the ones that were shut before me. So now Joseph has achieved the impossible. This name change and the family addition of wife and two children clinches the impossible suggestion. His wife assenteth her name, connecting her with the Egyptian religion. But isn't it something? Yet she marries a Hebrew and embraces, obviously, his Hebrew religion. Or did she manage both her Egyptian and her husband's Hebrew religion? The Egyptian goddess Nia was believed to be the creator of the universe and was also believed to govern the functions of the universe. She was the goddess of the cosmos, the goddess of wisdom, the goddess of water, the goddess of fertility, and she was responsible for the outcome of all things. Perhaps Pharaoh provided that god to connect with Joseph because he was not yet fully convinced that Joseph's God was actually the God of all. Or maybe marrying the relative to the goddess Neith would give him some inside track into the accuracy of Joseph's interpretation of his dreams. A Asenath could have referred Joseph to the various gods recognized by the Egyptian religion Let's just take for a moment in our imagination that she decided to tell Joseph that the falcon floating in the sky and the jackal who is ghost-like moving along the desert's rim 
and the terrible crocodile who's lurking in the rushes of the Nile, these are creatures who has forces that are stronger than any man. And Joseph, they are different from us because they possess powers and functions that we do not possess and in return we revere and respect what they can do. No doubt her religious expression could have very well been a challenge to Joseph's religious expression who would have responded by telling her about the God of his fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. For oftentimes, these moments of the impossible becoming possible is really a test of our conviction regarding who God is. We are invited to wrestle with the question, is God able? It seems that all the biblical characters had to, at some point in time, engage in that kind of conversation. David affirmed without question with Goliath that his God was indeed able. Joshua had to affirm in his own mind that God was able at the Jericho wall. Samson even affirmed it even at his death when he brought those pillars down, yet declaring that his God is the God of all. Jeremiah affirmed that his God was the God of all in the prison cell when he declared that the God that he served is like fire shut up in his bones. Those familiar Hebrew boys without question affirmed in the furnace that their God was the God who was able even if he doesn't bring about the miracle, he is still able to do, the, to do the miracle. You and I, in our own way, must affirm in the face of the impossibilities that God is indeed the possible who is able to do exceedingly and abundantly above all that we could ask or think. Within us, there is that test to see if we can declare the same language that Job declared, I know that my Redeemer lives. But now we have come to a point in the Joseph story that's life-changing, that's unbelievable because the text says in verse 50 through 52 that something incredible Joseph is about to do. Before the famine occurred about a year, his wife gives birth to two sons and in giving birth to those two sons says verses 50 and 51 he names those sons the first son he calls Manasseh he calls him Manasseh because he said it represents the God who helps him forget let's look at the text very closely verse 51 says that Joseph named his older son Manasseh for he said God has made me forget all my troubles and everyone in my father's family. There it is, this boy helps Joseph forget those awful hardships of those initial 13 years in Egypt. It also I believe represents how God ease the tension and ease the intense longing of Joseph to see his father and his siblings. 
The birth of Manasseh did something miraculous. It closed the door on the harsh treatment that Joseph had seen. It also assured Joseph that it no longer had a grip on him. The tragic moment of yesteryear has now been freed. Joseph is now freed from emotional and traumatic drama. We've read the word of the Lord, and when we do that, we permit the Holy Spirit to do what it seems to be happening in Joseph's life in the naming of his son. The Spirit, through the word, gives birth to something new to help us forget. That's the incredible thing about the name change of Joseph, but also about the naming of these sons. He says that God helps him forget not only what he had experienced, but also to forget about the family of his father. The pain was indeed traumatic, but Joseph said, God will birth something new in your life that will enable you to be able to get past what trauma, traumatic, and difficult pain you have been introduced to. Just to see how simplistic this change or this name can bring about, I got to thinking about what are some of the things that helps us forget the past. And let me show you how simple that is. Music. Music helps us to forget because it soothes the spirit. Read in the life of David how David took his heart and began to play it one day when Saul's heart was troubled. His mind had entered into a chaotic space. But the Bible says that when David played his heart with his hand, Saul's mind was reversed back to a normal man. Music has a way of bringing comfort from the traumatic. You read the book of Psalms, it is an entire hymn book, that helps convey unto us when Israel's heart is deeply burdened and when their life has been turned upside down by life's traumatic experience, the music of entering to his courts with praise and thanksgiving, coming to express their worship and adoration to God, that music brought comfort that allowed them to forget the past and begin to embrace the future. Ministry has an amazing way of helping us to forget the past because it allows us to help others to see others' condition and to serve others. And in serving others, sometimes it has a way of alleviating the burden of yesterday's tears while we are working to help someone not have to experience the kind of same tears or familiar tears as well. Ministry has an amazing power to free us from those traumatic moments of yesteryear. Money, no matter what anybody tells you, money does have a way of helping you alleviate a lot of traumatic hurt. It alleviates pressure, it alleviates pain, it alleviates frustration. But here it is, it births new opportunities to catapult you past what those pain predicaments have left 
It may not eliminate the scar, but it certainly can allow that scar to be turned into a star when you have the economics to force your life forward for a better perspective. And motivation. Motivation is important because it can relieve you from trauma when you discover a passion moving forward. Someone or something that causes your life to come to life every day, that gives it new invigorating spirit and direction, that passion motivates you to forget those things that are behind and press toward those things that are before you. Now, even though Joseph says that the naming of his son Manasseh helps him forget his father's family and to forget what happened to him in the past, there are some things we should not forget. We cannot forget communion, for does not Paul tell us in 1 Corinthians 11 that when we come to the Lord's table, we do this in remembrance of him. We cannot forget the Holy Spirit. In Ephesians 5 and 11, I think it is, is where Paul tells us to be filled with the Spirit. We cannot forget the Word. In 2 Timothy 3, I think it is, is where Paul tells us to study that Word to show ourselves approved unto God. We cannot forget prayer. 1 Thessalonians 5 says to pray without ceasing. Jesus says in Luke 18, 1, men should always pray and not faint and not stop and not give up. We can't forget some things, but thanks be to God, there are provisions of opportunities where there are some things we can forget. The God that we serve has a way of alleviating the trauma of the past, helping you forget it, and move forward to the bright glory of the future. But then the verse says also to us that Joseph had another son. And it says in verse 52 that Joseph named his second son Ephraim. And he said, God has made me fruitful in this land of my grief. Again, Ephraim means that he's fertile. He has fruitfulness. Joseph was professionally experienced just that while he was in Egypt. He got land, he got family, he got job fulfillment, he was celebrating his blessings, and he was giving gratitude by giving thanks and by renaming his, or by naming, should I say, his son's names that reminded him of how God has blessed his life. Those sons brought to Joseph's mind how God has a way of taking burdens and turning them into blessings. Let's think one more time about how Joseph defined Ephraim's name. He said in verse 52 that God has made me fruitful in the land of my grief. Remember I told you last Sunday that your place of affliction can become your place of fruitfulness. God doesn't have to move you out of that space 
to get you to experience fruitfulness even in a land of grief. Manasseh focused on the God who preserves, but Ephraim seems to focus on the God who blesses. So really, what are these verses trying to tell us? We begin to read verse 53 through 57. We'll talk more about that next Sunday, but that's just a simple declaration that Joseph's dream and Joseph's plan for Egypt to transition from a time of plenty to a time of famine is working. It's coming to pass just as he said. But in the naming of his sons and in the marriage of his wife, there are some lessons that Joseph really is trying to tell us in this story. And I want you to captivate this. There are four of them. Captivated. Write it down in your spirit. Because I think when we look at Joseph's life thus far, starting from the pit and coming now to this place where he is in the palace, second in command, enjoying all the aristocratic grandeur, his life tells us something. Here's the first thing he tells us. Don't just manage pain but pursue purpose. Don't just manage pain, but pursue purpose. I don't care how much Joseph tried to ignore it, at least his one son, Manasseh, but I'm certain also in conjunction to his second son, Ephraim, they reminded him of the pain that he experienced but at the same time, they help alleviate moving him from concentrating not so much on pain, but concentrating on the purpose. Because what happens is you can't permit the purpose to be avoided by the pain. And I know that sounds quite simplistic. It may even sound academic in some way. But you can't permit yourself to centralize only on the pain and not see that there has to be something about pain that provides a purpose. Here is the perfect example. When something goes wrong in the human body, that area, whatever it is, that organ, it gives us a sensitive reaction that we call pain. We call it pain because it's uncomfortable. It could very well hurt. It's a way to inform us and to tell us that something has gone wrong and needs to be addressed. And oftentimes in the addressing, meeting the issue, we become better because the healing educates us to do far better in taking care of who we are. I think in the pain predicament of Joseph, although it very well was painful, he discovered that his purpose was far bigger than the pain. So he never permitted the pain of the pit, nor the pain of prison, 
to keep him from the purpose in the palace. But he kept catapulting himself above all of those challenges, recognizing that there was an ultimate purpose that he could not be devoid of. Job is another voice who although wavered in his language during his pain, but yet he managed to declare that the God who knew his way when he is tried will come forth like gold. He knew that even though it's a pain predicament, trusting that God would bring him through and not allow him to break down but instead help him to break through because his purpose was far more broader than his pain. His pain was a passing moment, but his purpose was standing in the forefront. So Joseph and Job remind us of a couple of things, and here they are. A, you can be saved and still struggle. That's right. You can be saved and still struggle. You are going to have your moments of ups and downs, trials and tribulations. You are going to have your moments of difficulties, uncertainties, but they must never be permitted to cause you to jump the track and miss your destiny, miss your purpose. Job and Joseph lets us know you're saved, but there are going to be struggling moments. They also tell us that you can have faith and still be fatigued. You can believe and still get tired. You can believe and still get frustrated. You can believe and still be overwhelmed. Why? Because fatigue sets in even on those who have faith. And that's when you have to come to church. You got to get along with God. You got to hear a word. You got to hear that song that gives you that shot of inspiration so that your faith overtakes the fatigue and you're able to move on in Jesus' name. But painful experiences can lead to powerful empowerment. It can lead you to a moment where you recognize power that you thought you never had. That's what happens to Joseph when he moves from the pit to the prison to the palace. He's reminding us, don't just manage pain, but pursue purpose. There's a second thing. And the second thing is that adversity is the breeding ground for miracles. Adversity is the breeding ground for miracles. Here's the thing I've discovered about adversity. Adversity has advantages. One of the advantages that it brings is that it reveals the depths of your friendships. I discovered that in my own journey and I recognized who really was my true friend. And there was one person I'm thinking in my mind now particularly that no matter how difficult my journey got, that person never neglected, 
nor did they ignore me, nor did they not contact me, but stood by my side. Because when you are in an adverse moment, that's when you need to know that you got friends. Because adversity within it, you got to know. Why the depth of your friendship? Well, because you only want those who speak words that build your faith and your confidence. If they don't have words to build you and encourage you, you don't want them around you in adversity. You want those kind of friends who see the worth, the worthiness of your God-provided dreams and goals, who won't let you lose focus of what lies ahead. They won't let you play your own pity party, plan it, and then participate in it. They won't let you do it because they know what you have shared and what they have seen in your own life that God has given you in terms of a dream, in terms of a goal. That's the kind of friend you want with you in adversity. You want those who will become enthusiastic when you enter into their presence. When they see you, they get more excited about seeing you than you seeing them because you bring something to their life just as much as they bring to yours. And then you want those who will push you when you simply want to stand still in life. They won't let you do that, become stagnant and become complacent. That won't happen because those kind of friends have deep roots not only in your life but the God of your life. And they know that they are going and that they need to be to you a friend that sticks like a brother. And that's what adversity does. It is, it's an amazing place where it can breed for you some miracles. But adversity also will help you decide what you really believe. See, I'm convinced that Joseph gave his son these names because he wanted to express what he believed. He believed that God was the kind of God who could alleviate and who could make you forget your past. He's the God also who is fertile and who could in return bless your life where you couldn't help but recognize from whom all blessings flow. And that's what he tells us about Manasseh helps him forget his pain of the past, Ephraim, helps him recognize that God is a fruitful and faithful God. And that's what I think Joseph is trying to say to us, that in the midst of those adverse moments, what do you believe? Because adversity will bring up, will try you and help you define what you truly believe. I also want to let you know that speech and mind, this is where I think Joseph gives us one of those hidden gems that you don't pick up on unless you're carefully looking. Speech and mind must be on the same page. There's got to be harmony between the two because for me, Joseph seems to portray in his life an attempt to help us understand that happiness 
begins between the two ears. Your mind is the drawing room for your tomorrow's circumstances. That's Joseph's way of telling us that if you're going to experience happiness even in adverse moments, it's going to be in your mind first. And you've got to see it. You've got to begin to make it manifest in your mind and then it comes out of your mouth. Because that way Joseph really tells us what happens in your mind will happen in time. That's the reason why I think Jesus told the disciples, if you really can believe it, speak to that mountain and it will move. Well, I don't think he meant the physical geographical mountain will move. But once again, one of those deep metaphors that Jesus teaches to remind us, if you can see it in your mind, you can begin to move the pieces or begin to move the hindrances on your mind's board like pieces in a chess game and strategically begin to maneuver that progress can come in your journey. I believe Joseph saw himself elevating to power even in the pit. Even in prison, I think he saw the palace in some way, form, or fashion. He saw it because he never forgot the dream that God had given him way back in Genesis 37. He never dropped that. God gave him that dream so that his mental mind could begin to use its chalkboard and chart the course. Now he wouldn't be responsible for the circumstance that would get him there. That's all divine. And isn't it something you and I, we may not be responsible for the zigzag, for the curbs, for the valleys, for the hills that God takes us through to get us to where he wants us to be, but he uses our mind and our imagination to see how we can overcome that's why mind management has to be a priority for the overcomer. And your mouth is going to speak those things into existence. Here's a verse I'm, pro I'm probably certain that you've never thought of. Psalm 119, verse 130, clause A. Listen to what it says. The entrance of your words give light. It gives understanding. Listen to that verse now. The entrance, when you speak, you usher them into your life, into your atmosphere, into where you are. Listen to the verse. The entrance of your words give light. In other words, the psalmist is saying your direction will come from what your words speak because they provide the illumination on the path. And they give understanding. That's where we come to this grand verse of Paul in the Philippian letter in chapter 4, verse 8, when he gives us those profound words in verse 8 that he wants us to think about and we can't really confess them until we think on them. Finally, whatever is true, 
whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good report, if there is any excellence or anything worthy of praise, here it is, let your mind dwell on these things. Philippians 4 and 8. Paul knows it, that your speech and your mind must work together. Then there's a third thing. You will never possess what you are unwilling to pursue. You will never possess what you are unwilling to pursue. You think about this, at any given moment, the human side of Joseph could have abandoned the task, could have gave up at the pit, could have gave up in prison. You got to consider what happens between the pit and prison is Potiphar's house. Is his elevation to being the head of Potiphar's house and then to lose it all based on a false accusation of Mrs. Potiphar. Here's my conviction. But Joseph never forgot the glory and the power and the comfort and the responsibility he never forgot the, the joy of being in that position of feeling and experiencing that level of life. It was different from the pit. And even when he was demoted to the prison, I don't think he ever forgot because he kept pursuing. He kept pursuing. He was willing to fight and even to wait two years after he interprets the dream of the butler and the butler forgets all about him, I think his unwillingness to stop but to keep pushing, God moved in Pharaoh's life that Joseph end up captivating what he was pursuing. He's not the only one. David pursued what he had gotten stolen what was stolen from him by his enemies. Read 1 Samuel 31. He asked God, what should I do? And God says, go get it. Go get what you have lost because you will never possess what you are unwilling to pursue. Elijah did it. Elijah was willing to go to Mount Carmel and to prove to the prophets of Baal whose God was God without it. He probably knew that he would never be able to show how he was indeed serving the true and living God. And then Jesus did it. Jesus pursued a cross. Even though as the gospel writer Matthew says that in that garden of Gethsemane, he wanted to so desperately avoid it because it was painful. But yet he pursued it that he might possess our salvation. Says the apostle Paul, he endured the cross. Says the writer of Hebrews, he endured the shame of the cross so that we might end up experiencing the glory of our salvation. Then finally, remember you control your story even if you don't control the circumstances. You control your story even when you don't control the circumstances. 
Joseph couldn't control what the butler did not do in those two years and the circumstance being two years of not knowing what was happening in the palace. Joseph couldn't control the motives of Mrs. Potiphar and yet Joseph knew that he could control his own story because he knew that he would be writing it knowing that listen to this men decide their habits and their habits decide their future see Joseph I think knew that if he took the posture of being angry because someone was attempting to write his story differently or was attempting to baptize him in circumstances in which he had no control, he would have lost control. But he maintained control of his own story by engaging in habits that would help him write his story with clarity because men decide habits and habits decides futures. So I'm trying to tell you in this closing moment, keep on praying, keep on believing, keep on seeing, keep on reading the word of God because those virtues are the keys that unlock the doors to your future. Those are the keys those are the writing instruments that help you write your story. Even though you don't control the circumstance, you can't control what other people do. And I make that point because you've got to remember the secret of your future is hidden in your daily routines. I'll say that again. The secret of your future is hidden in your daily routines. I'll give you a simple example. When I was coming up in ministry, the older preachers used to always tell me, you got to burn the midnight oil. And I didn't really know what that meant. And I kept asking, well, what does that mean? And that say, that to, to, to me, they said, that meant you got to study the word every day. Study the word every day. Study the word every day. You've got to meditate on the word every day. You've got to search the word every day. You've got to research the word every day. Why? Because the secret of my future to at least understand what it means to become a biblical scholar, to become a theologian, a pastoral theologian, here's what they're saying. It lies in your daily routines. And I'm here to tell you, after some 40 years of ministry, it's still applicable. Even after learning what I've learned over 40, I still gotta study every single day. Losers focus on what they're going through while champions focus on what they are going to. I'll say it again for you. Losers focus on what they're going through while champions focus on what they're going to.
Joseph, as far as we can see, never complained audibly. He just kept pushing because he knew where he was going to. And I'll close by saying this, pain is not an enemy. It's merely the proof that one exists. When God wants to bless you, he puts a person in your life, in Joseph's life, Potiphar and Pharaoh. And when Satan wants to destroy you, he puts a person again in your life, in Joseph's life, Mrs. Potiphar. Think about that. Because out of the midst of all of that, when we are obedient and faithful to God, we get a chance to witness what I call incredibly unlimited possibilities. Lord, thank you for this moment in which we've shared in your word and we pray in Jesus' name that something was shared that blessed your people. And as we move forward from this moment, the most important thing that can happen is that someone makes a decision for Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And we invite that person to consider right now, if they have never made that decision for you, they would open up their heart and begin to confess with their mouth, Lord Jesus, come into my life. I'm a sinner that needs to be saved by your grace. And your word tells me that if I confess with my mouth, the Lord Jesus Christ and believe in my heart, that God, you have raised him from the dead, I shall be saved. That simple confession, I pray today, Lord, is made by someone. And as a result of that, their name is now written in the Lamb's book of life. We rejoice with them that they are now new citizens in the kingdom of God. We rejoice with our brothers and sisters who continue to labor that they might experience unlimited possibilities in their lives. Through Jesus Christ our Lord, we pray. Amen. Well, we rejoice and shout with you if you've made that decision for Jesus Christ. May this day bring to you a very new beginning. And may you begin from this day forward to experience the joy and the victory of walking anew in the kingdom of God. We salute those of you who continue to support us by way of your tithes and offerings. Thank you so kindly for you make it possible for us to be here each and every week. And we rejoice and encourage you to continue to do so for it helps us complete the assignment of sharing the word of God. Now let me make this announcement. Those of you who are members of Great Little Zion and certainly I hope our friends as well has been able to read our recent email. And that is that we've launched the announcement that we are reopening our church for worship only on the first Sunday in August and the third Sunday in August. And we are delighted that we're going to have this chance to begin to reconnect and have some moment, we pray, of fellowship and worship with each other. And we're looking forward to that great time. Now, there's a couple of things we want to encourage you to do in order for that to happen, for you to be a part of that. The first thing is, I want you to be comfortable in coming back to worship. If you do not feel comfortable, if you are saying in your heart, I just don't feel yet that I want to go back, please, by all means, remain home in your comfortable space. Just make sure you continue to view us via YouTube. 
we want to have you continue to view the ministry and support the ministry uh, through our online giving. So I don't want you to come if you certainly do not feel comfortable. However, those of you who do, I certainly want you to come and be here with us as we celebrate our opening on that first Sunday in August at 11 a.m. as well as the third Sunday in August at 11 a.m. Now, there's a couple things I do need for you to do. Number one, if you do plan on coming, call the church office and let them know that you want to come to the worship service. They will give you the details in reference to what you need to do further from that point. Also, I believe there's a form that you can fill out online at our church website. Go to the website and see if that form's available. Fill it out, and I think you can register for coming to the service as well. We still must enforce COVID-19 protocol. So everyone who comes to worship, you still must wear a mask. Everyone who comes to worship, we still must practice six feet distancing. We still are not allowed to gather in large crowds. We want you to make sure that you wash your hands in the vestibule. There will be stations set up with hand sanitizer for you to do that. And if you have not gotten one, we want to encourage you to get your COVID-19 vaccine. We are not telling you that you can't come to worship if you don't have it, but we prefer if you didn't only because Without that, you put yourself at risk as well as those who are in the sanctuary with you. So we certainly want to encourage you, please get your vaccine. That not only protects you, but it protects those in whom you come around as well. We still encourage everyone to pay your tithes and offerings online. Even when you come into worship, there will be an offering box here that you may uh, drop some tithes and offerings, cash, whatever you have on your way out. But we would prefer that you continue to make your contributions online. Why? Because that lessens contact for us. And again, we're still trying to make sure we stay under these protocols. Also, when we come to the third Sunday, communion elements will be provided by deacons as you make your entrance into the building. They will give you that so you don't have to worry about being past that when we get into service. So we encourage all of you, if you plan on coming, please get here by 1030. Your temperature has to be checked and then you will be ushered into the sanctuary and seated so that we can enjoy our service. Service will be the same as it is online. So we will not be having any exorbitant extended time of service we will be within that one hour context as we are online so we're looking forward to it i hope and pray that you will come and join us uh, and i'm looking forward to seeing you i have great expectations and we're hoping that it will be a glorious regathering for our reopening well keep this in mind always know that god loves you and so do i and I want you to have a blessed, wonderful day in the Lord. As we conclude this service, we, of course, will take a moment to break bread together on this communion Sunday as we come before the Lord's table to worship by way of communion, one with another, in Jesus' name. Amen.
brothers and sisters on that Thursday evening in which our Lord gathered around the table with his disciples he took bread says the Bible and he looked under heaven and gave thanks for it and then he broke it and passed it to each of those disciples upon doing so he instructed them to eat together and as Jesus and his disciples did eat together let us at this time break bread together Likewise, it says that Jesus took the cup, he looked into heaven and gave thanks for it, and then he gave it to each of his disciples as they did drink together. Let us drink together. When they had finished, they left that place and went to the Mount of Olives, singing hymns, praises unto God. Let's leave this virtual moment with a heart of celebration, realizing not only have we had a chance to break bread together, but we are rejoicing with the privilege of life, health, and strength. And once again, prayerfully a milestone of re-entering our worship experience on the first Sunday in August. Do this in remembrance of him. Be blessed. Have a wonderful, blessed time and week in the Lord. Look forward to seeing you in the future. Amen.